It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome back to the Masterclass, the Tactical Podcast. My name is Halo Rabani and I'm your host as ever today. We're sitting here on Thursday, Rob. Manchester United lost 3-1 last night to PSG. Oh, difficult, difficult defeat to take. One which we would have been able to get ourselves to the knockout stages with really a draw, to be honest, Rob. But as we as we stand now, we're going into a difficult game next week against a good Leipzig side. But without further ado, Rob, how are you today? Welcome back. How are you feeling after sleeping on that performance? I'm good, Hayda. Thank you very much, mate. How are you doing? Um, I thought the performance overall was okay, but didn't really tick all the boxes. So I feel obviously from the reaction on social media that lots of Manchester United quite Manchester United fans are quite high on the performance. The, because United created lots of chances that they're pleased with that and that it was an entertaining game and it very much was an entertaining match. But I think in terms of game management, and obviously this is what this podcast is about, when you look at the tactics and the setup, they were all fine, but the execution at times was poor or even less than poor. And I think that's just why the result was 3-1 at the end of the day in a game that Manchester United dominated for spells but didn't quite get over the line. That's exactly what it's all about. It's all about the execution, planning and execution, which I think a lot of fans maybe don't differentiate or they don't realise that actually just because the execution is poor does not mean the planning was poor. So that's what we're going to be doing today. We're going to be diving into both of those things. But look, for me, I just thought it was a night of what-ifs for Manchester United. I feel like we're saying what-if too many times, Rob. I feel like we're saying what-if on a lot of games, and I don't think that's the right thing. I mean, when we're looking at today, Fred's stupidity for me was a was a big part of it. I thought Solskjaer's game management wasn't 
as good as it should have been. We saw against Southampton, he was praised for changing it early on. I don't think he did that yesterday. And then obviously with Martial's chances, missing that goal, which could have completely changed the complexion of the result. Now we've got a huge trip, as I said earlier, going to Leipzig. And United, look, the first 20 minutes were a total mess for me. And I think you agree with that. I thought in other parts of the game, we had long spells of control. But I don't think we can make our superiority count. People are saying it's a good performance. I'm not sure it's a bad performance. And we've spoken off air about it. But I don't think we were disciplined enough. I don't think we were tight and compact enough. And for me as well, it's off the ball where we've got problems. We don't press well enough, I don't think. I don't think we pass well enough. The simple passes, the retention of the ball. Disjointed for me, Rob, again. And same sort of things that we come back to. But would you agree that that first 20 minutes was a complete... Well, it was a disaster, to be honest with you. And it set the tone for the match. Yeah, I think after that first 20 minutes, United were firefighting for most of the game, even during the spells where United dominated possession and and were in the final third attacking PSG. Uh, I think what was evident in the first five minutes of the game is that Manchester United were treating the football like a bar of soap. Yeah, they couldn't hold on to it. It was slippery, slippery, slippery. They weren't concentrating on ball retention. Yes, they were closing down. Yes, in the first five or ten minutes, it's easy to press because you're fit and healthy and you're ready to go. But United were giving away territory in an alarming rate in that first five or six minutes. And that gave away the first goal. That sets the tone. So I do think in the first half that United managed to switch it and managed to kind of get possession. I think after 25 minutes, they the possession was 70%, 70-30 in PSG's favour. And at halftime, it was 50-50. So statistically, that shows that United went in the correct direction and got the game under control. It was a building block. However, in games like this, I will say you have to be perfect for as close to 90 minutes as you can be. And there were big spells in both halves, first half and the second half, where United really were anything but perfect. And this is the wider question, the aspect of execution. You know, is it tactical or is it players? As I said, at the start of the game, I thought United set up fine. You know, I'd said on Twitter before that I thought it would be a kind of 4-5-1 shape, and it was. Cavani was doing the chasing at the top, and you had Bruno kind of coming from midfield as a number 10, going forward and backwards, keeping the shape. And the shape is fine. However, I think you could see as well, McTominay, who's had an injury in that first 20 minutes, really struggled. and. Neymar put him on toast. And I don't actually think that Neymar and Mbappe played that well last night. I thought they were okay. But they only really operated or did their their best work when United allowed them to. And that first 20 minutes was a disaster when you actually look at the issues and we'll, we'll unpack them here today. But overall, I think Ole and the players will go away from this match and they won't be saying, oh, well, we played well, so it is what it is and great. I think there will be regrets about some of the execution because the game plan was solid but actually letting that game plan unfold and do what United did in Paris successfully. You know, that's why they won the game in Paris. Uh, it was kind of night and day in terms of this performance. Yeah, I totally agree on the, you know, the planning. I thought when I looked at the starting lineup, 4-2-3-1, Fred and McTominay double pivot, exactly what I expected. I think it's exactly what everyone else expected. I thought it was a correct decision. A lot of fans complaining, no Van der Beek. We've gone through this many, many times in this podcast, why Van der Beek didn't play. So we're not going to go through that again. But essentially, United 
only needed a draw. And people might say, oh, it's pragmatic, it's negative. It's not, though, because at the end of the day, if United had drawn 1-1 and kept it tight, we'd be through to the, the knockout phase of the competition. Sir Alex Ferguson didn't go out and play um, gung-ho football all the time when he used to, when he needs to secure a result. And I think Oli set it up next, and the planning was correct, but you're right, the execution. I just want to talk about the statistics quickly, Rob, so we get a full picture of um, sort of the breakdown after the game. So United, in terms of expected goals, 1.27, PSG 2.89. I think total shots as well, 12 for United, 13 for PSG. So the idea that United dominated or or should have won the game, I'm not, not necessarily agreeing to that view. Uh, we had five on target, PSG had six. And in terms of possession, United 44% and PSG 56%. Our pass accuracy was 82%. PSG's was 88%. So looking at those statistics, what do you sort of deduce from that? Because I think there's a lot said about statistics. Oh, well, United had this amount and this amount. But actually, when you look at it, PSG probably deserved to win the game. Yes, I think they did deserve to win the game at the end of it because I think in the second half, Tuchel made a tactical change. He made his substitutions. He allowed Mbappe and Neymar just to go central and to go higher up the pitch. And, you know, they didn't win the game because of that change. You know, their goal was very, very scrappy to to make it 2-1. And I think you can forget the third because it's on the counter-attack and United are trying to pile forward. But at, at one all. You know, Tuchel was the manager that made the change. And I really think that, you know, we'll talk about Fred in a minute. I think Fred was a walking red card from the half hour point, yeah, in the first half. And I feel that Ole should have anticipated that and Ole should have made the changes he had, players on his bench. I think the temptation is that when the result is in your favour and at 1-1 the result was in Manchester United's favour, of course a draw would have been perfect and they would have qualified with that. There's always that temptation to stick rather than twist. But I do believe that Ole and and the bench should have had the foresight to see that it was only going to take one tackle that the referee didn't like to see see Fred get a second yellow. You don't have to be a a kind of wild challenge. I said, I think Fred's tackle was legal. It, it wasn't a yellow card, the second one. And, it, 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 you know, United fans feel it was unfair. But it's not unfair because in that situation, we always tell players to stay on their feet. Yeah, you got a, you got a yellow card. You're dancing the tightrope. Don't, don't put your foot in. Don't slide in. Don't go to ground. And he did that and he paid the price. But Manchester United paid the price because of that. And that little spell was when the goal came. And then really United needed to respond and then obviously lost a man, went down to 10 and they're in trouble. And I think as soon as they went down to 10 men, that was game over. You know, there was no way with an extra player and with the ball retention, like you just said there, 82% for the whole game. Not the worst statistic ever, but United didn't hold on to the ball for the first 20 minutes of the game and really didn't do much with it with the last 20 minutes because it was difficult firefighting when you're down to 10 men. Uh, people could say that's the reaction of the game, the way it unfolded. However, I think if Ole sees that and actually makes that change earlier in the second half, doesn't have to be on 45 minutes, but could have been after 55 or 60 minutes. Hindsight is a beautiful thing. He had players on the bench to be able to change it, to get Fred off there, to keep 11 men on the pitch. And if United had 11 men on the pitch going into the last 10 minutes, say, with, you know, at 2-1, they could have made it 2 all. 
So I think that's on Ole, and I really do think that that's sending off. I, I say that the manager is responsible for that. I don't think Fred let anyone down because Fred was just playing the game that he always plays. Fred is combative now. Fred is that kind of midfielder. Fred is always going to be aggressive. Why? Because Man United have bred him for a year to become an aggressive, ball-challenging uh, ball midfielder. I think it's very, very difficult for him to not be like that when that's when, what Manchester United are telling him to be. Yes, yeah, spot on. Let's talk about Fred now before we uh, move on to a few other topics. So I think we do also need to talk about the channel between Lindelof and Wambasaka. I think that's definitely something which needs to be discussed. Um, but let's talk about Fred. So a few things on Fred. I thought he was poor as a whole. And players have bad games, right? Fred's been pretty good this season. So it's not out of the realms of possibility that a player has a bad game. And I don't think we should be overreactionary to that. Because, Rob, you know, I saw on Twitter this whole week leading up to this game or after Southampton game, how good Fred is. And it's always, as you always say, don't go too high, don't go too low. People were going too high on Fred. And I was seeing and I was thinking, Fred's a good player, as we always say, with two or three things he's very good at. But he's got major flaws to his game. As you say, he's a combative midfielder. He played the way he usually does. But I think, one, he was poor. Yes, it wasn't a foul for the one he got sent off on, but he should have already been off for a headbutt. He is a very lucky boy. And that was the warning sign for me, right? For me, when I looked at both Fred and McTominay in that first half, I thought they lost their heads. I think McTominay grew into the game and I think he was better. But you saw several times both Maguire and Bruno telling Fred to just calm down. A lot of football obviously is about tactics, but it's also about composure. In a big game like this, you need all your players to be right in there. It's not just about how they play tactically. The amount of times that Maguire had to come over, and I thought Maguire had a good game. I thought he, he also led the team well. But that's also a sign to Oli to be like, right, okay, maybe he's been mentally impacted here by the way that PSG liked to wind up the players. Paredes was getting in his head. And that's where the manager's got to step in and be like, right, okay, look, we need 11 men on the pitch. And I think the whole point of you know playing them together, Fred McTominay, is to have that discipline, have the the compactness, the insurance, so that Bruno and the front three can go forward. But we weren't seeing that. So that's when, for me, Oli should have thought, right, we need to change something. Now, a little few things about Fred. I think from the off, I thought he was a liability with his first touch. He held on to the ball too long. And that first 20 minutes, we were pouring. He was dispossessed by Verratti very early on, and that really set the tone. But this is a key st statistic here. He finished with no successful tackles or interceptions. And that, for me, is... That's the mind-blowing statistic because you bring him in there to be the combative one to break the play up and then to feed it forward to Bruno. And that's, for me, the reason why it completely undermined Oli's argument for keeping him on. The risk that Oli took by keeping him on was completely unnecessary. When you look to the bench, there was Matic there, Van der Beek, Pogba. United, it's not all Oli's fault, obviously. The blame is not on Oli because I think the setup was correct. But decisions like this are the difference between you qualifying or you going into Europa League, which United could do next week, Rob. They could lose to Leipzig and they could be back in the Europa League. And it's these small margins and these decisions that you need to be judged on. And I think Oli got it wrong. And I think Fred, well, Fred let United down yesterday as well. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't go as far. Like My opinion is I wouldn't say that Fred let United down. What I would say is, is that in that situation, it's up to the manager to take control of what's happening. So if you've trained Fred week after week after week to play a certain way and he's playing that way and that he might make a mistimed tackle or something like that, then that happens in football. Uh, I think at the point 
where Fred puts his head in. And let's be honest, yeah, the PSG player is goading him to do that, you know, and Fred is silly for doing that. And in the Premier League, there is no doubt you get a red card and it's gone and it's done early. That player is is sent off. It is violent conduct. And yet it's not the most violent act ever. And I actually do think when you look at the replay, Fred doesn't make any real contact with him. But as soon as you kind of make that movement there like that towards a player's head, it's not a red card. The referee got that wrong and United dodged a bullet. But when you dodge that bullet, you got to make sure you dodge all the future bullets as well off the back of that one. And Ole didn't do that. And I think in that situation, yep, there will be a, um, a reliance to keep Fred on the pitch because maybe he's defensively better than Pogba. Maybe he's defensively better than Van der Beek. Uh, you might look at Matic and feel that he's not mobile enough to deal with Mbappe and with Neymar. But you have to change it. That is your job. Yeah, you can't just stick and hope for the best. And I think that, you know, I, I often say to football fans, you know, that managers and players do know more than all of us, more than the fans, more than the, uh, football journalists, because they live it and they breathe it. And, you know, it's their necks on the line at the end of the day. But I think with Fred, you could see really early on that he was only going to have to make one mistimed tackle and he was gone. And when he made that tackle, I actually thought he was gone before that when he went into a 50-50 and it was actually the PSG player that got booked. And then when you see the replay, Fred actually stands on his foot. Stands on that his foot, the, yeah. That's a yellow card. So he didn't get that yellow card. That got given to the PSG player and he got away with that one. And I think at that point, as a manager, you've got to go, right, I've got to change this now. Yeah, so you say to Fred, you communicate to him and you say, stop, don't make any more tackles, stay on your feet. Just stay in the position and wait because you're coming off. And then you make the change. And Ole didn't do that. What Ole did was he waited until PSG made their changes. And those changes from Tuchel won the game. Yeah, because Tuchel managed to get the game onto the front foot for PSG. Pushed Manchester United's block further, further back. Allowed Neymar to play with a little bit more space, to be able to come in and out a little bit more and go a little bit wider. And PSG won the match. And that's what it's about. You know, it's about winning games. Yeah. When we talk about this and we do the podcast, we're talking about how we impact these things. So the Fred issue was a mistake both from the player, but I think mainly from the manager. And another thing I said I want to talk about is the left channel, because I think when you look at the channel for Manchester United, the channel between Wambasaka and Lindelof, from minute one, PSG set the stall out to exploit that channel, because that's where Neymar likes to play. That's where Mbappe likes to play. And they almost kind of showed their hand with the team selection by not playing Di Maria, who plays on the right side. They kind of told United, we're coming through your left channel. And that is it. And you could see as well that Scott McTominay last night was not fit. He's been fighting for fitness now for weeks. And, you know, I'd like to speak about that as well. And obviously, Marcus Rashford, because I do believe that he should not be starting games with his shoulder injury. But that channel between Wambasaka and Lindelof was a problem because on the deck, Lindelof was getting beaten in that channel and Wambasaka wasn't helping him. Wambasaka was pushing wider, getting sucked to the sucked to the side of the wing. Of course, that's part of his job to cover there. But then they were coming inside with two passes and going through that channel. And in the first 20 minutes, yeah, United were 1-0 down and PSG didn't do a really good job of exploiting that after that moment. Um, but the opportunities were there and United clogged that channel a little bit better with McTominay. He followed um, Neymar into that space and that did help. But it was a tactical problem that United didn't respond quick enough to. And ultimately, it was part of why United lost the game. 
Yeah, let's let's delve into that channel as well because I think what United did well in the first game, and again, remember we played three at the back, and that was the reason why we had Tunzebi who was pretty much mopping up any of the runs that Mbappe made from behind, and McTominay did a fantastic job of slotting into that right hand channel and and basically man marking Neymar, which is what he did. But we went to a back four, and a lot of fans are asking this, and I think it's pretty obvious why we didn't go with a back three because we didn't have the personnel to play that. Mm. And I don't think Oli was going to go and throw someone like Bailly in there because, you know, that would have been a, a massive risk to take. So I think in that respect, the 4-2-3-1 was correct. But Rob, this is not a problem. That right-hand channel between Lindelof and Wambsaka is not something that... Uh, sorry, is something that we've been seeing time and time again. It's not just in this game we've seen issues. And it, for me, it stems not really... I don't think it's a Lindelof problem. It stems from Wambasaka. He's very comfortable on the outside, making those um, slide tackles or or using the touchline. Anything behind him, anything on, you know, so inside positionally, it's an area which he's extremely weak. He doesn't have the awareness. Now, a lot of people call for Wambasaka to play in the back three as one of the centre-backs. That would be the biggest disaster possible. He has no positional awareness. I'd like to also touch back to the game against Brighton, where the amount of time Solly March had space on the back press. I know it's a different sort of thing, but it's still about the positional awareness of Wambasaka. Now, I like Wambasaka. I think he's a fantastic 1v1 defender, but you've got to offer more. We've spoken about that right back position time and time again. He's fantastic in, in the tackle, but actually he's now, even the positional side of his game is now lacking or it's or it's either it's regressing or he's not developing the way he should. You know, they've got a serious problem there, Rob. And... That was, ex like you said, it wasn't exploited as well by PSG, but it was a problem that occurred throughout the game for me. And what do United now do then with that with that position? Because if you're going to have to play two defensive midfielders like we did last night for most games to cover up for Wan-Bissaka in that channel, then United are going to suffer going forward. Yeah, I think right back for Manchester United for a little while has been a kind of itch that they can't scratch for some reason. So the way I look at it is like this is, you know, uh, last season I spoke a lot about Lindelof's positioning and his covering. And one of the things that I actually said at that point was that it must be really difficult for Wan-Bissaka to know what's going on inside him because Lindelof wasn't really doing the job, you know, with the ball on the deck or with covering. And every time that someone got through that channel, Lindelof was exposed. And United considered so many goals last year from that that issue from Lindelof not being able to defend either one-on-one -on -one or allowing his man to come inside or to kind of exploit the channels. This year, it's a little bit different. I think Lindelof's performances have been fine. I think, so, especially in recent weeks, I think Lindelof and Maguire have stepped up to the plate and have played quite well. Uh, I don't think they deserve any criticism. But I do think now the issue is that chemistry between Lindelof on the right-hand side at centre-back and his right-back. And he has to have faith in what Wambasaka does and Wambasaka has to have faith in what he does you know vice versa it's a team game what we're seeing with Wambasaka is that he has become more conservative since the day he arrived at Manchester United and he makes repetitive issues both defensively and offensively how do you solve this well first of all you've just got to get better that's one side of it and if you don't get better you have to try something different that's what a manager has to do when you look at last night, I totally agree with what you said there. Wamasaka wants to be combative one-on-one -on -one in the challenge, and he feels comfortable with that. You can see that he he positively beams when he's one-on-one -on -one with anyone, yeah, because he knows you know, that's why his nickname Spider. He's got like eight legs. He can tackle you. You know, he can do all of those things. He he likes that side of the game. But it 
you need to be more. You have to be more. So I've also talked about my worries about Tellers defensively yeah, on the left-hand side. And I think in the four last night, Tellers did okay. You know, the, the issues from the previous game where maybe Tellers um, reneged too much space on the inside and exposed the gaps between him and the centre-back, that wasn't present last night. I thought Tellers was really disciplined. But of course, that takes something away from Tellers' forward game. And in that formation, which is a kind of like a 4-5-1 shape, even though it is 4-2-3-1, you're kind of saying to your fullbacks to sit and do the job and do all the dirty work. Wamsaka can sit. I'm not really that interested in his forward work yesterday, but it was a big problem that first 20 minutes that he was being really, really sucked towards the byline and allowing that space inside. And if I'm Neymar, I'm just rubbing my hands in glee going, all right, fullback, keep going wide because when that ball comes into me, I've now got 20 yards to run in behind you. And that was a problem. And as I said, uh, a minute ago, I don't think PSG exploited that well enough. But the fact that Manchester United gave it away for me is a tactical problem. You know, that is a problem with execution. And it was hard for Lindelof then because Lindelof was getting one on one with Neymar, Mbappe, who's ever was running that channel at that moment. And I was just thinking, he's going to get done here. And he was getting done on the deck. He's not the quickest. If you get him behind him, he's not, he, he doesn't really cover very well. He didn't have a bad game overall in the 90 minutes. I don't think the centre-backs did. They did okay. But the fact that United lost... He also got, he got an assist, Rob, to be fair. He got the assist for the goal. Wambasaka. He got yeah. the assist for the goal. And I kind of tweeted at that point, it must be Christmas if Wambasaka's getting an assist. And it's kind of a little joke. And that's good that he, he, you know, that he was in that position to get the ball to Rashford's feet. But overall it's the other things you know it's all about it's all about balance isn't it when we talk about tactics and performance and execution and his execution on a night wasn't great it is a repetitive issue and you know some will say he's damned if he doesn't damned if he doesn't you know do we want him to be a progressive going forward and bombing forward and getting 15 assists a season and we want him to be more Trent than than Aaron and you know how do you want him to be well I'm sorry you've got to incrementally improve all your parts of your game you can't just give it up and say well now I'm better on the front foot I can be not as good on the back the problem with Wambasaka is that as you said there he is kind of regressing in certain parts I think it's confidence yeah he's young and if you don't have the experience to kind of just take a deep breath sometimes, it's very, very easy to make mistakes. And I think that's what we see with Wambasaka. He's very, very keen to get into the challenge, to get into the physical battle. He's not quite the chess master. He has to play right back a little bit more up here rather than just in here. Ideally, you get both. But this generally loses your games when you make that bad with that mistake about just going in to be tight to man mark. You don't really want your fullback to man mark. You don't want him to get too close. You want your your fullback to look after the territory, and that would really, really then help um, Lindelof a lot in terms of being inside and blocking that channel. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I think as this season has gone on, we've spoken about Wampersaka pretty much every episode, Rob, so far especially in the last four or five. It's a problem for Man it's United. Repetitive. And... It's repetitive, isn't yeah, it? it and, is. and, and, and that's the, yeah. and, and quite often week to week to week to week is a different issue. So that's my problem is that one week we're talking about him not getting forward. Other weeks we're talking about him not looking after the defensive work. Then we're looking yeah. at uh, talking about him centrally when he comes across to cover. I think that he was partially to blame for the second PSG goal where really he's dropping at a time when United should be pushing out from the corner. You know, these are little tactical things that you, you try to teach players, but they, they can only do it right or do it wrong. 
And in that moment, obviously, he does that moment wrong and he's in trouble. And Manchester United see a goal because they're playing people on side, both him and Cavani did. But I always look to the defender in that situation because it's the defender who's got to push out and pull out. If, it, if a, an attacker gets caught on the back foot, it happens. But I don't really want to see any of my defenders doing that. Yeah, exactly. And for me, I think it's... Look, he's young. He can he can still get better. He can still develop. But confidence is a massive thing. And while we're talking about confidence, Rob, we might as well go on to Anthony Martial, who for me, his confidence is absolutely shot. Now, a lot of fans want to see him on the left. I want to see him on the left. But you're of the view that he's he's better centrally. And I think there are a lot of fans that agree with that. But it's, it's very binary, isn't it, to say that if he'd scored that chance, then United would have won. Because I think... A lot of fans are now blaming the defeat, or defeat on uh, Martial's lack of finishing. I mean, he had three shots; he got one on target. That was a really, really bad miss. And nobody's missed more big chances in the Champions League than Martial this season for Man United. That's four big chances, which is, which is strange because he is someone that I do associate with being a clinical finisher. Something's off there with him. I think it's confidence. I don't think he's suddenly become a bad player of the night. Obviously, the reactionary nature of fans say Martial's now. Poor play, he's not good enough, needs to be dropped. I'm not sure what the solution... Well, my solution is this, actually, Rob. This is my solution. Carry on playing him on that left-hand side because I think he needs to play himself into form. United also don't have the depth in the in the wide areas to play someone instead of Martial. Now, I thought for me last night, my biggest problem with him, and it has been both actually with him and Rashford, they don't do... The defensive work well enough in my opinion now i'm not sure if you agree with that but for me they don't track back enough and also the press we don't press as a team and it makes it very easy for the opposition to pass through the first line of our press and that for me is a is a coaching thing it is a tactical thing but also the players have to take some responsibility they need to use their heads as well they need to they need to absorb the tactics they need to be able to implement them on the pitch and i'm just finding at the moment that our wide players aren't doing that. Martial, for me, is not a number nine. And we've said this before, and I know we disagree on that, but he's not a number nine. But also, in the position where I thought he'd be more comfortable, I actually think he's playing worse on the left. So, what's your view on Martial, and what does Oli do with him? Because we've got a serious problem in that front line at the moment. The first question to answer there is something that you highlighted about your preference for him to play on the left. And then you immediately said that he doesn't do the defensive work of that position. So why do you want him to play on the left? So this is the way I look at it. And this is kind of what I said in the last podcast about Anthony Martial. And this is the issue is that if United played 4-3-3 with three higher players up the pitch, like say Liverpool do in their pomp, Salah, Firmino and um, Mane, then great, you can play him in a 4-3-3. He hasn't got to do a lot of work coming back. He's got three midfielders behind him joining up the dots, doing the work. Happy days, you can go and be a forward. In Manchester United's 4-2-3-1, it's a transitional formation, which means that the wide players in the three behind the striker have to come back and help the fullbacks. Martial doesn't do that great. And I actually think that in the second half, he did it much better before he was actually pulled in the game. Uh, I think he got better at it because you're probably told to get better at it and to get on with it. But like you're saying there, you, you have a preference to play on the left. I don't want him to play on the left for the exact reason that you gave immediately after saying what was wrong. And that is he does not do that work. If you play someone in that position, they have to do the defensive work and then they also have to press. 
Now, I'm not at all saying for one second that I think Martial is lazy. I just think his natural game is to not do those things because he wants to get the ball at feet, so he comes a little bit deeper. He wants to turn, he wants to space, and he wants to run. But if you're running from the halfway line with the ball at your feet on the left-hand side, it's pretty easy to defend against. Defences will take that every day of the week. Where I want Martial to get the ball is on the edge of the box. And in a 4-2-3-1, you generally don't get the ball there because you're too close to the defence. You have to come a bit deeper. So I think that anti Martial is ineffectual as a left-sided forward in a 4-2-3-1. This is a tactical decision. It's not about the player. It's not really about kind of his skill set. It's about what can he give to that formation at that moment of time. And I think what we saw yesterday, especially early on in the game, and you're right to highlight the press, and it was an issue on both sides, yeah? And I think when you look at Martial, when you look at Rashford, you know, they were they were always a heartbeat off where they should be with the press. So they were pressing, but you've got to sprint. You've got to do what Bruno does. You've got to go and engage, yeah? You've got to go, right, I'm getting there by hook or by crook. Now, that does hurt your long-term stamina in the match. And I think players do think about this. You know, they're thinking, hang on, in the second half, I need some legs. I need to be able to keep running. But you've also got to do the work. And if you can't do the work, don't play there. So that's the way I look at it. If Anthony Martial misses those chances yesterday as a number nine, I'm all right with it because he's doing his job of being in the box, getting chances. But I'm less all right with it when you're coming from the left-hand side where you've got more space to exploit. So I think when you look at it in slow-mo, when that ball comes across from Rashford, and we all know the chance we're talking about where he skies it, the ball does bobble just before. But if he passes that ball into the back of the net, he scores. It doesn't matter if it bobbles. And what did he try and do? He tried to smash it like he always tries to do, puts his foot through it, leathers it, trying to emphatically score the goal. The whole point is in that position, you've got to just score. It doesn't matter what it looks like. Is that a confidence thing, Rob? No, it's it's his decision making. Technique. No, no, it's not confidence. I don't I don't think he goes into the game thinking I'm not confident. But what I will say is this, and I think we should join the dots because psychology, you know, psychologically, these things do matter. If you tell Anthony Martial for a year that he's your number nine, and then you tell him you're playing on the left, what do that, what does that do to him psychologically? Now I'm sure he's willing to do it, and all footballers always say, "I'm willing to do whatever the manager says. I'm willing to do whatever it is to win, to you know, to make the team better, and all of this." But do we think Anthony Martial is happy about losing his number nine berth to Cavani? And let's be honest, it's a fair decision because Cavani scores two goals the week before, does well, comes off the bench, deserved to start the game. That's not the criticism. The issue is. If you're Martial, do you feel at your optimum playing in a position that you've left behind you? Yeah, he said, I want to be a number nine. This is what he said. And people at the football club have said, you know what? He is a number nine. He's not a left-sided forward. And then we go to one of the biggest games of the season against PSG and we're playing him on the left again. You see, Hayden, this is this is my issue with it because all of these things, it's my favourite word, holistic, holistic challenges and all of this. Unless you have a holistic outlook on these things with positions and what players can do, you will lose games. You will. And last night, that was a problem. And I think Anthony Martial coming across from the left-hand side, he's actually out of position from what his brain is training himself to do. He's getting used to being a number nine and playing in that corridor where the penalty spot is. Yeah, that corridor all the way from where the goalkeeper stands through the penalty spot to the edge of the area. And you teach number nines to play in that corridor. Sergio Aguero is the best in the world at it. Yeah, fantastic. Just playing the corridor. Now he's not playing the corridor. He's playing the channel again. 
That's difficult. You can't just switch, even if it's something that you know you've done before. It's going to hurt your overall game. It hurts your balance. You come into the box at a different angle. The things that you've practiced for months and months and months and months suddenly become null and void. Now, fans don't latch onto that because they think it's just as simple as putting a ball in the net. And ultimately, yes, it is. That's what it is. But when you're a player and in that split second, you can panic. You can do something wrong because you're not akin. The chess match that I always talk about, you're out of the game. Yeah, you're, you're just participating, but you're not really there. And I think coming from that side onto his right foot is something that he's not really done all season. And maybe I even go back into last year. He should be used to it. And people can say, yeah, his fault. it is his fault. And if he misses that chance and skies it, he's got to take responsibility. But there are reasons tactically and emotionally. Those things do matter in the moment. And, and I do think for him there, do I have any sympathy for him? Not really, because ultimately he's got to score that goal. You know, he's got to put it away. But he wasn't the only one that did that on the night. Again, there were chances. Other players had chances. I thought Bruno had a little bit of a stinker for me. You know, he just didn't oh, join yeah. the darts. He didn't really kind of, you know, he worked hard. He always worked hard. But I thought his, his kind of um, end product was lacking. I think Rashford, I have a massive problem now with him starting games when he's injured. You know, we did it last season to the point where he broke his back and then he was out for months. And then he came back and he still wasn't fit and, you, and Ole kept playing him. And I know there's a temptation to play Rashford because he's become the heartbeat of the football club. Again, both emotionally and kind of outward looking to the world. Marcus Rashford is Manchester United at the moment. But I think in that situation, if your player's injured, you've got other players to, to go and do the job. Bring Rashford off the bench. And we saw how good Rashford can be when he comes on as a cameo for 20 or 30 minutes. We saw that hat-trick he scored earlier on in the season from the bench. I think that would have been smarter. And I and I don't want to see Martial play on the left. Like you've said that you want to see him play on the left. I'll be honest, I don't want to see him play on the left. He doesn't do the defensive work. He's not aware of what's behind him. He comes too deep. He doesn't let the fullback overlap. He doesn't come inside enough when he gets the ball. He's always looking to play the one-trick pony on the edge of the box. One, two, three touches. I'm on my right, put it in the top corner. You can't play like that. That's not how we want that position to be played. I think Rashford is better on the left. Because Rashford just gives you a little bit more flexibility. Would Rashford have finished off that chance, Rob? That's the question. But it, it, that, I mean, that, I know that, that's that, that kind if, of but... yeah, that kind of hypothetical is kind of no offense. It's nonsensical because we don't. Yeah. You know, any other player, like in, if the ball bubbles, then all of us might sky it. Yeah, and the okay, ball let, let's, go, let's go back to you're talking about the technique because I do actually agree. Mm. You, you brought up some fantastic points. Rashford's comfortable coming off the left, opening up his body. So if we're talking that's technique, his position. Well, yeah. So he would been he would have technique wise he would have been more comfortable and he would be more instinctive i think he passes it into the net i yeah, think he that passes was, it. that was my point yeah yeah i think he yeah. passes it and I, and i think you know i think cavani might have passed it in the net i think bruno might have passed it in the net again in that moment you can't really tell what a player is going to do you might be able to lean one way or the other but i think that the issue for Martial is that he's coming from a starting position to an end position that's slightly different to what he's probably practicing in training. He's been practicing as number nine probably for two years now. And now we're telling him, go back and be a left-sided player. So you'd score 23 goals as a centre-forward, Martial. Yeah, thank you very much. Now go and play on the left again. It's, that's a problem psychologically yeah, yeah. for footballers. And, and players do have this issue when, when their positions are slightly altered because it doesn't look like much to the football fan, to the common fan when they're looking at it as a layman. But to a footballer... It's everything because it's all up here where you play the game and you start making maybe bad choices. And I think he had two chances yesterday. And you saw what he tried to do. The first time he skies it 
And then with his second opportunity, which again, I think Bruno just has to shoot. You know, Bruno, like everyone, I, I think Robbie Savage said, oh, what a great layoff. Don't, there's no layoff. There's no goalkeeper there. Shoot, put it in the bottom corner. The goalkeeper is stranded. Put it away. Don't put it inside to Martial. Because then Martial has to kind of think, right, what am I doing? I've got a second here to think. I'm going to leather this. I'm going to just put my foot through it. I just want contact. Whereas again, he might have slotted that another time. If he's calmer and in, in actually in the moment and living in the moment, which is what footballers should be, then you just take the, this, the stress out of the situation and all you think about is just putting it in the bottom corner. Yeah, and he didn't do that. So both times I felt he was affected by circumstance. And that's not an excuse. Football fans will say it might be an excuse. But for me, those things do matter. You bring up some fantastic points about the the mentality. This is a concern then for, for Ollie Rob. This is a decision. These are big decisions he has to make then. Because if we know when Marcel got his shirt taken off him, the number nine, that obviously was something which... I'm going to say it. He sulked about. Whether you, yeah, you, yeah, and it's something that which obviously affected his his confidence. And then when he was playing well under Jose Mourinho, him and Rashford were battling for that uh, left wing spot, and they were both pushing each other. They're both in fantastic form. You bring in Alexis Sanchez again. Both players drop form. Poor decision. So now it's another bit of a watershed moment, isn't it, for Martial and for Oli? What's he going to do? Because you're right. I think going forward, I quite like Martial on the left wing. Personally, I think he, I think he does run the channel better than Rashford does. But yeah, I've got issues with him defensively. And if you're playing Tellez at left back, who isn't as uh, isn't the best defensively, let's put it that way. He hasn't shown many problems for me so far, but it's a small sample size. But then, what does Oli do with this situation? Because it seems to me right now, Cavani's not going to play every game. He's 33 years old. Obviously, he's, he's not the youngest. But what does Oli do then with? the left channel because we might as well push into Rashford now as well injured clearly yesterday he was holding his back as well he he's always for me been someone that works hard and I will never ever fault him for that but when he's injured or when he's playing with a knock he's he's really off his game now Oli always plays him again and again when he's injured he broke his back last year these are decisions that we need to make. Oli needs to make these decisions. And we talk about Oli's choices, right? So with Fred, keeping him on, that's an Oli decision. Ra playing Rashford when he's injured, I know it's a big game, but again, an Oli decision. Shifting Martial out to the left and possibly affecting his mentality. A lot of fans will be like, oh, well, you get on with it. You know, man up mm. is the sort of thing. But <laughs> you know how it is. But again, yeah. an Oli decision. All these small decisions, um, you know, they all become a big problem then, don't they? Because if Mar if Rashford gets out injured for, for a season again, if Martial's confidence goes and he wants to leave, if, uh, well, we've lost Fred now, haven't we? For a certain amount of games in the Champions League. So all these things together, it becomes a problem. So these are decisions that you get judged on. And ultimately, I'm not going to say all he's losing his job. I'm not saying that, but they pile up. We could have a serious problem. So, yeah, for Rashford, my biggest problem with him the last three weeks has been he doesn't look right because he's injured. We know that with his shoulder. Also, his decision-making has been a little bit off, and I think it's a little bit of a concern. It is a concern. I will say the small details win and lose you matches. Yeah, so you're right to highlight those things. However, if Man United win last night, it's kind of different kettle of fish, isn't it? You know, we're looking at it with different eyes. But we have to be honest. We have to be straight about what we're seeing. Uh, I think when we look at Marcus Rashford, 
I, I, I agree with you. I think week after week after week, we've seen a decline in his kind of overall performances because of this shoulder injury that he's had. It kept him out of the England squad. It was a problem for him. You know, they tried to rest it for a week or two. Then he kind of plays, you know, uh, reduced minutes. Then United are trying to manage him and he's playing different positions, playing on the left, playing on the right, playing through the centre at times in a, in a two. So he's doing lots of different things. And there's obviously this reliance on Marcus Rashford to be a, a big part of the team. There's no problem with that when he's fit. But it's exactly the same issue that we've had with Pogba. Yeah, we've tried to rush Pogba back last season. He got injured again and he's out. So people blame Pogba for that. And it's not really his fault. That's a, a choice from the manager. And then this season, again, we see a, a, a kind of rushing back of Pogba. They slow it down again because they realise he's not ready. And United now have got a squad that I think should be able to handle injuries a little bit more. Now, when you have lots of injuries, then you're in trouble. But when it's just one or two or three players, you have to be able to be, be brave enough to make those choices. So last night, playing Rashford is a kind of 50-50 choice. Yeah, you have to assess that in training. And I'm absolutely sure that Marcus Rashford is telling Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, I want to play. 100%. The player saying, I'm fit. I'm ready to go. Give me a few painkillers. I'm on it. Let's try it. I want to be a part of this game. You know, Marcus Rashford bleeds Manchester United, as does the manager. But ultimately, I look at it like this. I would have probably, and I want to see United do this more in weeks ahead, I don't think Cavani should be the starter. Cavani should be your weapon from the bench. Cavani should be the super sub. Every club needs quality from the bench. When you looked at the setup last night, United had less quality on the bench but if you if you started with a different formation in terms of who plays where, and say play Martial through the middle, play Rashford on the left, and say play Greenwood on the right, that would have been the choice. Or you might have even played Dan James there. I know people don't want to see him play, but I'm talking about balance here, and I'm talking about endeavour and the game plan. Then I think United would have been in a better position in the last 30 minutes to change it to go and win a game. If you bring Cavani on for 30 minutes in that match last night, he scores. I think so. You know, I think he comes on and makes a difference. Whereas last did night, Cav Rob, I, I, did I think Cavani play? Mm. Did he play? Was it an emotional decision as well? Because obviously he's playing PSG. No, I think also there is this thinking that because he scored two goals that you start. Yeah, you, you scored two goals, you got to play him. So uh, that's what I remember you saying that, and that's what other other fans have said. You know, he, he should be the starting number nine, and I look at that and I think that that makes sense. But you have to sometimes look at the bigger picture of the whole ninety minutes. You have to win when the final whistle blows, not in the 30th minute, not in the 60th minute, on 90. Yeah, that's what matters. And that includes your bench. Your bench is a huge part of that. And I thought last night, you know, pulling Martial and Cavani at the same time and bringing on Rashford and Van der Beek was a poor decision. Why? Because those two younger players had to come in and make a dramatic impact in a game where United weren't, weren't retaining the ball with any conviction. So what are you going to do? You know, that doesn't... Lend. I said at half-time that it was a game made for Mason Greenwood. And that's what I would have probably done. I'd have probably taken Martial off early, pushed Rashford to the left if he was still fit enough and played Greenwood from the right because there was space in that channel for Greenwood to bring it in his left and to get shut off. And we know we know Mason has got that God-given ability on his left foot, like Robin Van Persie, to hit the target and you make it a more dangerous kind of scenario for PSG. And let's be honest... Greenwood has played that right-sided role in a 4-2-3-1 more than any Manchester United player in the last 12 months. So he knows it better than anyone. And he's moment. played it the best, Rob. And he's played it the best. He's got 20 goals last year. So you, you, there is a trust there. Now, I understand that 
um, Mason has gone through this period of grief, as we talked about in the last podcast, and it's been a really tough time for him. And United must manage his mental health and everything that goes with it. And that's that's the right thing to do from Ole. But these things are fine margins. We will talk about them. I look at Rashford. I don't want Rashford to start games when he's injured. Yeah, I would. I understand him being on the bench and then maybe giving you 20 minutes of, you know, full throttle Marcus Rashford. But for me, you know, I, I saw it in about, was it the sixth minute where he got the ball and United kind of, it was the first time United got on the front foot and he had the fullback push up against him and there was acres of space behind him and Rashford couldn't turn on the afterburners. He kind of dribbled a little bit and did a kind of like ticky-tacker forward for five or six yards. And I was just thinking, knock it, knock it, man. Go, go, Rashford, because that's what you want. That's what he's good at. And the reason is, is this, the body part of your body that you sprint with is your shoulders and your arms. You do this, right? It's the first thing you do. And if you've got a shoulder injury, you can't do that, which means you can't sprint. And that's what happened there. And I saw that in the sixth minute and I thought, that's a problem because it means he's not going to be able to run in behind. It means he's not going to exploit that channel on the right. Now, he didn't play badly in the game. He scored a goal. But that is an issue. And if you're PSG, you notice that. These little, tiny little nuances of the game. You go, Rashford can't run because he's got shoulder injury. Good. Let's just stand off him because he's not going to be able to run in behind. We can deal with that. And of course, he can't press. Why? Because you've got a sprint. You've got a sprint in the press and he can't do that he's injured all of these things matter i know they don't get noticed by fans but they do matter in the whole context of 90 minutes yeah fantastic points and also to add when when we did when ollie did make the changes obviously greenwood and um van der Beek came on well we were down to 10 men as well rob so what what hope did they really have i thought actually when we went down to 10 men we actually Played well. We didn't capitulate. We could easily capitulate like we did against Spurs. So in that respect, I think the mentality was good. But I agree with you on Rashford. I've said for a while, I mean, he seems to be the one player that Oli will play no matter what, whether he's injured, whether he's not. Now, as you say, you know, Marcus probably wants to play, but this is a decision that Oli needs to make to say, look, I don't think Dan James would have been any different last night because I think what United needed was they needed to work hard off the ball. They needed to press as a unit and they didn't. And I think what right. everyone goes in on Dan James, that we know his quality on the ball, but United weren't doing the work off the ball properly. They weren't pressing consistently. You know, they were disjointed. And I think Dan James probably could have been someone who, who would have done that off the ball stuff better. As you said, Rashford couldn't run. So Dan James will run all day for you if you ask him to. So these, mm -hmm. these sort of things, you know, people forget, they always think about on the ball, but off the ball is just as important. And PSG aside, Packed with quality, Rob. People forget this. And this is another thing that I want to say before we move on to Bruno as a final piece. But what I do want to say is that United fans went in with an air of, I think, to an extent, arrogance. And they underestimated PSG. This is a team that, yes, okay, there's a lot of... They're probably at their lowest ebb, I think, in a long time. But they've still got a very good manager. Tuchel is no slouch. They've still got world-class players in their squad. Neymar and Mbappe. Fans are saying, oh, we're going to go and win 3-1. And this is a problem. So when United don't win or they don't perform, then there's a hysteria. Oh, this is awful. United are this, Oli this, Oli that. And it's, you know, Martial's this, Rashford's this. It's always in the middle, isn't it, really? It's not at, as bad as it is, and it's also not as good as it is. Yeah, I think, look, if you look after Neymar and Mbappe, I think you can go and win a game against PSG. I don't think they're that great. Yeah, like we're talking about them being a, a good side. And I don't think it's arrogance to look at their, their recent record and really their performances since getting to the Champions League final at the end of last season, that they've been poor. 
and that Thomas Tuchel's contract runs out at the end of the season is not going to be the manager after that moment when his contract expires. That tells you a lot. That's where PSG are at the moment. There was a chance for Manchester United last night to get the result they wanted. When I say result, they didn't need to win. They just needed to draw. Nil-nil would have been fine. I'd have been happy today, happier, with a really boring nil-nil draw last night because it means means that Manchester United are in the next round of the Champions League. And as it stands now, I'm not confident. I think going to Leipzig and having to, you know, to get a result at Leipzig against a team that can turn it on with the afterburners, you know, they're, they're, they're a bit hit or miss, but they'll be desperate to overturn what happened at Old Trafford. They want to, they'll want to show that they're a better team than that. And they are a better team than that. And Nagelsmann's a better manager than that. Then I think United are in trouble now, and it's a it's a it's a it's an issue that they've they've formulated themselves here by by how they played the game last night overall. But PSG for me, you know, when you remove Neymar and you remove Mbappe, how many world class players have they really got? Well, one of them was on the bench in Di Maria, and I think Marquinhos at his best is world class. You know, whether he plays at centre back or as defensive midfielder, he can be a a world class entity. Looking at the rest of that team, most of them were playing out of position last night. Vast majority of them. It's quite interesting. The Ander Herrera question, I was talking about this when we talk about Fred as well, is that people, obviously, Lord Fred and his performances have been good recently. But it's the same thing with Ander Herrera. Ander Herrera didn't start last night. And for me, Ander Herrera is a lot of smoke. He's a better you know, player. He's a better no, player no, than Fred. What, what, for me, he's, a better player. he's better on the ball. He's a cleverer he's better, player than Fred. He's, be, he's better on the ball, but I think that with when you talk about Andrew Herrera, you're kind of robbing Peter to pay Paul. And what I mean by that is that, yeah, he can run around. Yeah, he can show heart. Yeah, he can show desire. I think when we saw him in a Manchester United shirt playing a defensive role, his neatness and tidiness from back to front wasn't there. It was one of the issues why Andrew Herrera wasn't included in lots of Mourinho's later squads. And it was also why when you get to the crux when you look at him and say, is this the player that takes my midfield forward? The real answer to that was no. So he goes to PSG and he's not even starting last night. Yeah, he came on the last 50 minutes. And now I think that's his role. I think Ander Herrera is a really good player to bring off from the bench. I would not consider him anything better than that. That's the way I look at it. Lots of United fans are in love with him and still love him to this day. And that's because he talks a good game. He really does. He always talks about how much he loves United. And that's great. And we like players that love our football club, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But to me, it's all a little bit dull and boring. It's about form and function. But I think when you look at kind of the whole thing with PSG is that they're not in a great moment. Manchester United should have exploited that. Manchester United could have won the game, but they could have very, very much got the draw and that's all we needed. And that's how United should have managed it. That's why you take Fred off early and you manage it. You keep the ball better than uh, than we did. And you, you, you drain it. You drain that game. Yeah, that's how you play these matches in Europe. You know, you keep possession. You slow it down at times. You get 10 minutes of nothingness, just passing it sideways, making Neymar work for it, making Mbappe work for it. United didn't do any of that. It was all just... It was all just blood and thunder. And blood and thunder can win you games. But in a game like that, I talk about the chess match all the time. Yeah, you've got to be a little bit more thoughtful. You've got to be a little bit more deliberate. United weren't. They lost the game 3-1. And they probably deserve to lose the game at the end of the day. Yeah, I think so. Rob, let's move on to the final appointment. And then we'll take we'll do two questions from the listeners because we've covered a lot of the questions already. Um, and, and some of them are are um, not really relevant. So Bruno's performance yesterday, there's one moment. Do you remember in the first half where he had the ball and he got it and I was like, hit it. And he tried to pass it across to Cavani. 
and I'm, and I'm thinking you're in such good, well, such good goal scoring form. I wouldn't say he's, he's, performances have been necessarily out of this world but he just wasn't quite at the races yesterday as you said always works hard um, and again you know the layoff he's probably just hit it as well he had a header as well which uh, could have got in so he's always affecting the game I believe he had uh, two shots one on target um, but you know I need more don't they from from that position in that game and it's not always on him but it seems like a lot of the time if he doesn't really perform um, or doesn't have a good game United don't look as attacking going forward and United need more from everyone. The, the collective needs to be creating more. Um, and it's a concern for me. I think this is something that I do see a lot than when Bruno perhaps doesn't play badly. And he didn't, he didn't play badly yesterday. I don't think many players played badly. I think Fred was bad. Uh, I don't think Martial was bad. I think he missed bad, you know, a bad chance, but with Bruno, if he doesn't play well, United don't necessarily play well. And this needs to change. It feels like we're over-reliant sometimes on Bruno to come up with the goods. Yeah, I don't think anyone was bad in the Man United team. You know, when we talk about these things, it is really fine lines between good and bad. So I don't like to lean on what's good and what's bad. I like to kind of just look at facts if you can. You know, you can boil it down to facts. I look at it like this. When you play a kind of 4-2-3-1, you are expecting Bruno Fernandes to go and do a lot of the dog's work, as I call it. Yeah, you've got to go and close down. You've got to go and support Cavani. You've got to be a number 10. You've got to be a 9.5. You've got to be a number 8. You've got to do all of these things and you've got to do them well. You know, so that's that is hard. It's a hard job to do. When United play the diamond, it allows um, Bruno to be a little bit more flexible. So Bruno doesn't really have to go wider. It doesn't have to kind of guard channels. He doesn't have to look after areas. He can just kind of be the trekarista, you know, the player that can operate in space between the, uh, the centre forward and the midfield. And it's a much more controlled, nicer, creative role to play. But when you play 4 2 one it's much more difficult. So that's the first point. What I will say is that when you look at the decisions last night, so, you know, the decision to play that ball inside to Martial when the goal is there to, to kind of go after, that's up to the player in that moment to have the confidence to do the job. So only he can decide why he made that choice. And I'm sure he's it's an honest decision. Like He's thinking, if I play it inside, it's an easier opportunity. And it's again, I use basketball analogies for this. It's about percentage shots. So in basketball, you, you try and opt for whatever the shot has the lowest percentage of failure. Yeah. And in that situation, Bruno might be just thinking, if I swing my left boot, boot at it, if I just play it inside to Martial, there's a less chance of him missing it than there is me. So I'm going to do that. And he's trying to do it for the team. So I think sometimes Bruno is a bit greedy. So I've got no problem with him trying to bring other players into the game. However, at that point, I just want to see him hit the target. Hit the target. It's a good chance. It's there for you. Go and win Go and win United what they need. You know, go and get United the result. So I think it's difficult for Bruno. And I think you saw last night, again, he looks quite frustrated in these moments when United are kind of firing and misfiring. And, and I think he always looks the most pained because he's telling people what to do and he's the heart and soul. And I think it was difficult for him. And that kind of game unfolded as a difficult scenario for United because they lost someone in the middle of the park. I don't think Fred played badly, he just made a couple of bad choices and the manager should have pulled him early. You know, get him out of there, get someone else in there. you got 11 men, you can go and get the result. I think Bruno contributes to all of those things. He wasn't great yesterday, but I don't think he was bad either. And I think the, the link-up between him and Cavani, I think he's quite uh, comfortable with having a, a striker like Cavani in front of him that does that work that goes and addresses it because it means that he doesn't have to go and address the centre-back. That's a good thing. I think we might see United revert back now to a diamond 
in future games against maybe lesser opponents because there will be a feeling that they need to get Van der Beek back in there, that they need to control the ball better and that they need to kind of free up the creativity in the team. And I don't think in a kind of 4-4-2 diamond or whatever you want to call it, transitional 4-3-3, I don't think we'll see anywhere Anthony Martial play on, on the side of that. He's not going to play on the left of that kind of formation. He might play as a two up top with Cavani or with Rashford yeah. or with Mason or whatnot. I don't want to see him dropped either. I mean, if you drop him, that's a problem. But it also will allow Bruno to go and do the good stuff. It allows Van der Beek to play on the side of a diamond, to be involved a little bit more, to get more games. And then you can kind of say, right, Matic at the base, McTominay at the base. Pogba in as well, Rob. I'm, I'm delighted for Pogba in there. Yeah, delighted. look, look I'm always someone who wants to see kind of 10 or 15 games of a player when they come back from injuries or when they come back from bad form of being out of the team. You've got to give him a run. If he's fit, he'll play. You know, I'm not 100% convinced he's fit yet. He was probably ready for a bench role last night and he might be only good for a bench role for the next two or three weeks. But United have got a ton of games coming up. And it might not be to say the Man City game that he's really ready to start. But it was a good sign. You know, it's good that he's come back and... Ideally, look, he still fits in your best 11. I know people say no and they, they think about the running and the chasing. You know, he had that one moment last night, didn't he, which was almost magical where he swings a boot at it and it just goes over the bar. If that goes in the top corner, what are we saying? You know, we're talking about this world-class player in Paul Pogba. It's up to Ole to find a way to get him in the team. And if he doesn't fit the system, doesn't fit the team, sell him. Yeah, if it doesn't work, he's not a play that you can play on the bench. Get whatever you can get for him, whether it be uh, 80 million, 90 million, 100 million, whatever people want to play, get the going rate and then replace him. But don't don't ostracize him out of the unit and say, no, no, you know, he's going to just come on, on and off the bench because he won't accept that. And we won't get the best from him from that. You have to make the hard choices. I do think that he'll come back into the starting 11 in the weeks ahead. And I do think that there'll be a temptation to find a way now to get Pogba, Van der Beek and Bruno in that team. Because if you get three players who can create from a little bit deeper and, and can impact on both boxes at both ends, then we'll see a better Manchester United. It just means that Ole's got to make it work. Can Ole make it work? That's another question. And it might get to a point where if he can't make it work, he might lose his job because of that. Yeah, the, the, I'm going to touch quickly on Pogba, like literally 20 seconds. But what I will say is that there's a clear agenda, Rob. You know, I, I tweeted out saying, look, I'm really excited to see Pogba back. Uh, and the agenda is, is ridiculous. But the facts say United with Bruno and Pogba in the same team have more points per game to score more goals. So that's what United need to do. If United want to improve as a side, they need to find a way to get Pogba, Van der Beek and Bruno. I agree. The diamond is definitely a way to do that. I think that also suits what United have got because we don't have... I guess, uh, a traditional right winger or someone that can play on the right. Mason can, but I think you might see that we've got four good forwards who can rotate for those two spots at the top, and it keeps them fresh as well. But, Rob, I'm going to go into the questions. I'm gonna, we've got two questions here, one from United Info. Thank you for sending your question in. So he's asking, we've sort of touched on this, but it, we're talking about the diamond here, but he's saying, would Oli have gone for the three five two if Shaw and Otto and Zabi were available? And he's yes. saying this seemed, yeah, I think we would have done that as well. This seemed like a roll of the dice playing three attackers. It was strange that he didn't go for a diamond and have more control since we only needed a draw. What could be the reasons why he didn't go for that diamond? Well, like we said in the last uh, episode of the Masterclass, the diamond makes you defensively weak. 
Yeah, it does. It hurts you because you're only really playing with one person at the base of the diamond. So you're playing, kind of playing a defense of four, one, and then two. And those two have got to kind of get backwards and forwards. But say United's dream scenario of those two would be Pogba on the left, Van der Beek on the right. Those two have got to really gamble a little bit, both going forward and backwards. So it leaves you susceptible to the counter-attack. It leaves you open in the space in front of the defence. And let's be honest, if you played a diamond there and you didn't allow McTominay to track Neymar, they might have got five goals last night. You know, they might have got more chances. They might have got a lot more kind of productivity from their forwards than they actually did. Now, they got three goals at the end of it, so they're not unhappy. But it would have given United a kind of disadvantage at the start of the match. Uh, I don't think you play a diamond against PSG in that way. Yeah, You can play a diamond against Burnley, Southampton, Southampton, you know, any team that kind of flitters around mid-table downwards, you can play diamond. You can't play diamond against Man City, they'll kill you. You play diamond against Liverpool, they'll kill you because you just are taking away that little bit of defensive protection. And as we saw with the goal against Southampton, which was from the free kick with Ward-Prowse, that came from the diamond pushing Fred's position 10 yards forward to a side and making him chase from behind. And then he fouls the player, and that leads to the goal. In a 4 2 3 1, that doesn't happen. His position is over here. He's, sc- he's screening a little bit more. He sees the player in front of him, and he can address. And then you don't get that free kick or that foul. So that's how coaches and managers think in terms of their tactics when you're looking at the finer points. So I don't think there was a problem last night with the tactics for United. I, I, don't, I wouldn't have played design in, in a European game like that. I don't think it lends itself to it. However, if you do want to find a way of getting Pogba in the team and Van der Beek and you want to find a way of maybe freeing up Bruno a little bit more to be a little bit more expressive, then you go with two. But that means also that your fullbacks have got to be better in a diamond. They've got to push on. They've got to give you width. We've talked about the problem with Wan-Bissaka today. We know Tellez likes to get forward on that left side, so he would love to overlap a diamond. He'd be into that all day, all week. Yeah, but then you've got to get the right combination as your two centre-forwards. If it was me tomorrow, it would be Anthony Martial plus one. Now, for most people, it might be Cavani plus one. But for me, in that formation, you play Martial there and you say to him, you are my number nine. I'm going to stick with you by hella high water. There's no transfer window affecting this at the moment. I'm going to live with you. I'm going to believe in you. And do you know what? I'm going to live and die by this because... If you fail, then you'd get out the team. Yeah, you're not playing well, but I'm going to play you into form. I'm going to trust you. And then you play a partner with him. And Cavani might suit him. Cavani can go and do the dog's work then, you see. And Martial can maybe stand off a little bit and play more 4-4-1-1, which United used to play under Fergie quite a bit and kind of have this intermittent striker that acts like a 10, but is actually more of a 9.5 like Harry Kane does. Um and you could give Marshall a little bit more space to operate. But let's see. I think that we'll see the diamond more in the coming weeks. The two things I'll add about the diamond, Rob, is one, well, when we saw Matic play against Southampton, you just knew he wasn't going to play against PSG. So I think Matic just keeps that diamond. He's, for me, the most disciplined and the best player to sit at the base of that diamond. And another thing as well is whoever's playing on that right-hand side, we've seen it twice now, against Arsenal, McTominay wanted to hold Fred's hand pretty much. So we were lopsided. And against uh, Southampton, again, Fred was lopsided as well. So they're two issues. I still think mm-hmm. United's best formation is 3-5-2. And when Shaw and Tuanzebe come, come back, I have no issue with playing three at the back at home. A lot of people saying, oh, it's defensive. That's where you get the most out of Tellez. You can play two up top. You could even go for one 
more defensive player in midfield because you've got this, you know, the um, cover behind you with Axel or with Shaw. And I just think United look more balanced when they play that. Um, let's go find a question, Rob, from Aditya Prakash. Thank you for your question. Are you happy with Oli's squad rotation this season? I think that's a, it's a good question. It's not really something I've thought about a lot. I think Oli has actually rotated the squad pretty well. You know, we, we haven't got many injuries, to touch wood. I think the way he's playing Rashford, or in my my view, overplaying Rashford is a bit of an issue. But on the whole, I think he's rotated the squad well. He's got options now that we've seen. And um, yeah, no issues now. I think the next month and a, and a half really is when we've got two games a week until January. That's when we're going to really be able to judge his squad rotation. Yeah, I had more issues with Ole's rotation last season than I do this year. And what I mean by that is last season, he didn't do any rotation really at all. He was trying to repeat things over and over again. But to be fair to him, his bench was junk. Yeah, and you could see that. And people going, oh, make changes, Ole, you know, magical changes. And really, he's only got Lingard to come on or Pereira or someone like that last season to kind of change these outward-looking positions where you want to create, you want to try and, you know, affect play with some kind of beautiful moment. You know, you make that change from the bench. Now Ole has options from the bench and we are seeing more what I would call effective rotation. You know, so he's looking at his squad. He's trying to look after players a little bit more. Pogba's not been rushed back, whereas last year he would absolutely have been rushed back. Uh, I think Rashford is a problem in terms of his injuries and impact injuries and stuff to carry through matches and starting games is a problem. And really, I know that Marcus will want to play all these games, but you've got to be the big man as the manager and say, you're sitting on a bench this week, you know, because you're not quite there. Uh, I, I think we need to continue seeing rotation. You know, we've got a squad that's good enough. We've got players on the bench that need minutes. You'll see Matter come into that rotation. You'll see, I think, Brandon Williams come into that rotation. There's no doubt Luke Shaw will, will get his place back at some point and will be rotated with Tellers. That's the right thing to do. Uh, if you're playing a diamond, then you're going to have to try different uh, partnerships. Like you are just saying there, that Matic is the guy that you play at the base. But he can't really play more than one game a week because of his age and because of his physicality. No, so that's a problem. Yeah. So you have to play McTominay there. There's going to be weeks where you might have to play Fred there. You know, you just need someone who can put his foot on the ball and can screen and can get the play going in the right direction. So United have got three options there. You know, there's going to be times even when you play a more technically gifted player in that position, depending on who you're playing against, you might play Pogba as the six of a base of a diamond. Not ideal. But you might do just to be able to join the dots. It does happen tactically. You know, everyone wants a kind of uh, a great central defensive midfielder in there. You know, I've talked about Tuan Zabi playing maybe in that position, and I think he could. And in a diamond, I think he could. I wouldn't play him in there in a, in a double pivot, but in a diamond, I think he could do that job. So you have to kind of look at all the options. So I think we'll see more rotation in the weeks ahead. Uh, I've got no issues with it. I want to see more rotation. That is the modern game. Look at Manchester City, look what Pep does with his squad. He rotates, he rotates, he rotates. That's all he does every week. It's never the same, it's never the same uh personnel when he puts it together. Same tactics, same outlook, same philosophy, but different players every week. And that's a good thing. I want to see that more from Manchester United. I want to see Palestri come into the team maybe later on in the season. We've all seen these little snippets of Diallo making his Champions League debut. For Atalanta, it looked very, very nice. It's only obviously a few minutes. It's, a, as you like to say, a small sample size. So we see him for half an hour. But he looked good. You could see that he's got great talent. He might be an option from the bench. 
All of these things matter. Uh, and and if Martial still can't find the back of the net in the next five or ten games, then you have to make hard choices, don't you? Mason will come back in, no doubt. United have got good things happening. You know, it's not all doom and gloom because they just lost 3-1. There are little things that are not right, but those little things have been there for a long time. They're historical. Ole has to solve those because it's ultimately the small things that will get Manchester United in a position of where they want to be. It's not these kind of grand ideas. They're not far away, but Ole, he's always got this Pochettino thing breathing down his neck. You know, every game that you lose, there are going to be the Ole out saying, get rid, bring in Poch. And if he gets knocked out of the Champions League against Leipzig, then contractually, that might give Manchester United the excuse to make a managerial change. That might be a bit of a shock. Like I've said to you before, we might just all wake up one day and go, and it's just done. You know, we might say we didn't expect that at that moment. I think Ed Woodward is looking for that opportunity. But if Ola keeps winning, you keep your job. You know, you can't sack a... It's really hard to sack a manager politically that's winning games. But last night, I think he made a few few errors that did contribute towards a defeat. And I think United are on the brink of going out of the Champions League. That's not me being a doomist or negative or, you know, people will say that about me and say, oh, you know, you're just down on it. You know, for me, it's not, I'm not down on Manchester United at all. I just think going to Leipzig is a really, really, really tough challenge to go there and get any kind of result against a team that's absolutely one of the best in the Bundesliga. 100%. And what I will say as well is... Um... My final word on, you know, I guess this Pochettino thing is that with Chelsea now hitting form, Lampard looks looks like he's safe. City with Pep signing a new contract. So the options for Poch are limited. And I do think, you know, possibly you could say Real Madrid with Zidane, who could be on, on maybe two or three games time, maybe on the brink of getting sacked. And then you've also got PSG possibly as well. But I think that's, that's the nature of the game now, isn't it, Rob? Where if Oli has a bad result... The, the rumors come out again. If United lose on Saturday against West Ham, then you'll hear the the Oli outers again. So, look, it, it seems to me that on a game by game basis, <laughs> depending on the result, that's what the 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 feeling in the fan base is. But Rob, we are going live, aren't we, on Saturday after the West Ham game? We just want to say thank you to all the listeners for all your support. It's been absolutely incredible, but also your fantastic questions and your engagement with the show. That's what really makes the show. Uh, an absolute uh, joy to do. So thank you very much for that. Yeah, we're blown away by the live interaction with you guys from Twitter and other sources. You know, it's fantastic that you're all getting involved and kind of making the show better because you do, you know, we make these podcasts for football fans of Manchester United and anyone obviously who wants to watch, but the idea is to make this kind of uh, one hour or so worth of um, uh, tactical analysis for you guys and, the fact that you've all got involved really has kind of blown myself and Hader away uh, with the kind of numbers that we're getting and people who are actually listening to us across Spotify, Apple, YouTube, and obviously with the feed on Twitter. And 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 keep keep supporting us. We're really, really happy with, with everything that you're saying to us. And we take both the positive and the negative to try and change the show around to make it a little bit more sharper for you every week. You know, like Manchester United, we want to kind of improve our performance week to week and we have a passion to do that. And we're just really, really happy with the way you guys are kind of pushing us on and giving us support. It's uh, it's gratefully received. Yeah, I echo Rob's words completely. Guys, make sure, as Rob said, check us out on Spotify and Apple Podcasts as well and also on YouTube. Thank you again. We'll be going live uh, after West Ham game. We'll confirm that, so keep an eye out for that. Thank you very much, and we'll see you all next time. 
Sports Social Podcast Network.